Hey guys, welcome back to the Ancient Plan podcast. We're here. My name's Jeff, and uh, this is my friend and uh, co-host Ray. And today we're going to be talking about Genesis six. And so, Ray, how you been doing, man? What's something cool God's been doing in your life? Uh, lots of different stuff. Been super busy lately with graphic design work, uh, things like that. But the Lord is just uh, giving me, putting me in places, uh, positions with uh, more influence. Uh, I've been praying. Uh, you know, I want to, I want to influence more people with the gospel, make more disciples, and the Lord's just been bringing uh, some of that. Um, to my doorstep. So <laughs> it's cool. been pretty, pretty exciting, sometimes overwhelming because uh, discipleship is a commitment. You know, it's not a, it's not a passive thing. It's an active thing. So um, wow. I would say right now, the Lord has been ramping up that season of my life of just um, being impacted and impacting others. So. Wow. Praise God. I love that. Yeah. I, I'd say something for me uh, recently, God's just been stirring up in me is, um, you know, there's an a, an a event going on in Kansas City on May 14th. It's called the Send, mm. and basically, it's a, a gathering of believers uh, who will. And, and the thrust of it is to send forth laborers uh, to make disciples of Jesus across uh, everywhere, across the nations of the earth. And so, my family, we're going to that, and I'm excited to go there. Um, but I had a dream the other night. Uh, we're basically in the dream. Um, I, I was given the message, you know, like uh, I was given the message in the dream without sharing all the details. It's told me pray for revival in Kansas city. And oh, um, like very clear it, like the word for word, that's what like was a handwritten note kind of thing. It said, pray for revival in Kansas city. And um, so in my sleep after the dream, I'm kind of like praying for revival in Kansas city for 300,000 new believers to come forth who would be wholehearted in their devotion to Jesus. And, mm. and I'm kind of just feel stirred to engage. And I'm just wondering if, if there's going to be something at the send in May 14th, that's going to, uh, I mean, I know it's going to be good, but I, I'm wondering if it could be even more significant than, uh, than I, than I imagine. And, right. and, and I, I feel like when that awakening hits Kansas city, the domino effect that it's going to have on Israel and the nations of the earth is going to be really significant. So that's just something that I've been stirred with. And I, I feel the Lord really kind of drawn me to seek him in a focused way. Um, Amen. Why well, yeah. you unpack some big ideas right there. I know. <laughs> I, so I was good, trying man. to be concise. I mean, uh, I could, we could have done a whole episode just on that, but. You want to throw our notes away and talk about Israel? Let's yeah, do it. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> good i'm just kidding um uh, yeah so anyway so that's something cool god's stirring me with and um excited too just about making disciples you know i, I feel blessed uh, i really had some opportunities to be able to disciple people um even in unreached nations and I, that is an answer to prayer for me because that's something i pray for a lot and so i just yeah. feel grateful to be able to do that as well so isn't it so, uh isn't it incredible to think about like the idea of making disciples or, or, or influencing people maybe is a better, I don't know if that's a better way to say it or not, but um, that it's like the, when you pray for it, he actually does it right. It's like, he brings yes. people into your life. Like that's so like the pressure isn't like on me to like go out to the grocery store and like find the guy in the milk aisle and be like, Hey, do you, do you want to, <laughs> 
you want to be a disciple? <laughs> you know what I mean? Now there is an element of that. That's evangelism, right. but the Lord naturally brings people to our life. When we open up the door and we say, Lord, give me somebody to influence. He does mm-hmm. that. It's so good. It's like, it takes the pressure off of having to produce your own influence because he brings it straight to you, you know, in a that's, way. That's true. That's really good. And yeah. actually case in point a few months ago, uh, you know, I was discipling a handful of of people, you know, that I'm that I'm doing that with. But I felt like I had more time, um, and I had this desire. I'm like, God, give me more people to disciple. And I actually prayed that. And within probably a month, I mean, my schedule was filled up like just people that God brought to me to disciple. And I mean, I would I had like probably twenty to twenty five people a week at. That I was discipling and in various small groups, some of them one-on-one, but um, yeah, he answered that prayer. And I was so thankful. Like a month later, I was like, oh my goodness, I remembered that prayer. And I'm like, God, you really answered that prayer. I mean, this is amazing. So yeah, it's true. He does answer that. I like that. He'll do it. He will do it. Mm. Amen. So discipleship, that's what we're doing in this show (laughs) is uh, we want to disciple people uh, in the biblical storyline and um to the anchored in the the message, the biblical message, and the whole Bible uh, t- tells one story from Genesis to Revelation, and it's it's a redemptive story that God tells. And I just want to review the four parts of the biblical storyline, which I know where those are at. And so, um, oops, <laughs> just kidding. I thought I knew where those were at. I do. I was just on the wrong page. Sorry about that. Okay, so four parts of the biblical storyline. Uh, it starts with creation is the first main thing that happens. That's in Genesis 1 and 2. And we covered that um, a few episodes ago. And everything's going good. God creates the heavens. He creates the earth, all the people, all the animals, the trees, etc. Um, everything's going great. Um, and until, until Genesis chapter 3, where the fall happens. And that's where, and we talked about that in the previous episode where Adam and Eve decided to disobey God. And when they did, it brought themselves, they embody, they embraced the sinful nature, which is the, we learned this in the last episode. It's the, the number one problem facing the, the earth and the human race is the sinful nature of human beings. It's the number one thing that has to get fixed. Nothing else can really be completely fixed until that gets fixed. And so that's what Jesus did, praise God. And that gets us into the redemption. That's the third part of the biblical storyline is God had it in his heart. He's like, I want to redeem not only people, but I want to restore natural creation from the effects of the curse to how it was before the fall. And God's intention all along when he created people in the earth is he wants to live on the earth with his people forever. And when people took on a sinful nature, it threw a major wrench into that plan. But God already knew it was going to come. And he already had a plan in place to redeem what had been lost and restore it to how it was before. And so we see him uh, uh, kind of hinting at announcing his plan in Genesis 3 a little bit. We talked about that last week. Um, and then he his plan for redemption continues to unfold throughout the story of the Bible. Um, and then it finally comes to the fourth part of the biblical storyline in Revelation 21 and 22, where it's the final restoration or the new heavens and the new earth. When when they're, all the sin is removed from the planet and uh, the only people left are 
righteous people who love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and they love one another, and he restores all things, and there's no more curse, and everything's awesome. So that's kind of just an overview of the the bigger story that the Bible tells. What we're going to do today is we're going to zoom in and look at Genesis chapter 6, a pretty significant event that happened um, in redemption history. And so we'll go ahead and I'll just get into reading that. Did you have anything you wanted to say before I start reading this? No, I'm good. Go for it. Okay. So I'm going to read Genesis chapter six. um, And maybe you can just flip through these slides, Ray, as I do that. Uh, Genesis six. Then the people began to multiply on the earth and daughters were born to them. The sons of God (laughs) saw the beautiful women and took any they wanted as their wives. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not put up with humans for such a long time, for they are only mortal flesh. In the future, their normal lifespan will be no more than 120 years. In those days, and for some time after, giant Nephilites lived on the earth. For whenever the sons of God had intercourse with women, they gave birth to children who became the heroes and famous warriors of ancient times. The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, And he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry he had ever made them and put them on the earth. It broke his heart. And the Lord said, I will wipe this human race I have created from the face of the earth. Yes, and I will destroy every living thing, all the people, the large animals, the small animals that scurry along the ground, and even the birds of the sky. I am sorry I ever made them. But Noah found favor in the eye, uh, with the Lord. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on earth at the time. And he walked in close fellowship with God. Noah was the father of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now God saw that the earth had become corrupt and was filled with violence. God observed all this corruption in the world for everyone on earth was corrupt. So God said to Noah, I have decided to destroy all living creatures, for they have filled the earth with violence. Yes, I will wipe them all out along with the earth. Build a large boat from cypress wood and waterproof it with tar inside and out. Then construct decks and stalls throughout its interior. Make the boat 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. Leave an 18-inch opening below the roof all the way around the boat. Put the door on the side and build three decks inside the boat, lower, middle, and upper. Look, I am about to cover the earth with a flood that will destroy every living thing that breathes. Everything on earth will die. But I will confirm my covenant with you. So enter the boat, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Bring a pair of every kind of animal, a male and a female, into the boat with you to keep them alive during the flood. Pairs of every kind of bird and every kind of animal and every kind of small animal that scurries along the ground will come to you to be kept alive and be sure to take on board enough food for your family and for all the animals. So Noah did everything exactly as God had commanded him. So let's start, uh, Ray, just kind of working our way through this passage and let's start with like the first four verses. We'll just kind of work through it a little bit at a time. So what are some things that stand out to you in the first four verses? 
Uh, so I, you know, I think the first four verses and especially the mention of the Nephilites or the Nephilim and, you know, typically these verses create a lot of questions and controversy, which I'm not typically interested um, in questions or, or in the controversy related to like, who are the Nephilim? How have, how have they impacted human history? Um, now, but what I do care about is how the ancient Jewish Jewish mind did think. And so part of our struggle with these verses and the Nephilim and taking, taking the daughters of men um, is that we, we struggle with enlightenment and we also de-emphasize things that seem mythological, right? So as soon as something seems supernatural and mythological, we try to make sense of it in a way that like we can fit into our modern brain. But a Jew would read this with the expectation or the um, with the mindset that like the supernatural is common, right? That the angels and supernatural natural beings could um, take form in, in in a physical form, you know. And so we we accept this in other parts of the Bible, right? We accept it. Uh, who eats lunch with Abraham, right? Uh, which angel is it that grabs Lot? right? A physical angel grabs Lot and pulls him back in the door, right? Um, you know, and so any, even another another comparison that we wouldn't really think of as weird uh, would be that the Holy Spirit um, would, you know, put a baby inside of Mary, right? So like that we accept because it's common to the, to the greater good of the story and our story. We identify with it, right? And salvation. And so this idea of the Nephilim being it's not that it's um, a main storyline, but it shouldn't be all too uncommon to those who um, care about the biblical storyline because it's describing the the reason that God reacts so severely um, in judgment. So now for me, I'm not somebody who's like, uh, you know, I'm going to have a strong opinion and and I think everybody else should have the same opinion that I have. But I do care about what, what information is available to us from, from Genesis 6, 1 through 4, right? In, in books and in, and in history. So I, I might study that, which I, I do. And so you study that, but you don't let it like the word of God binds on the conscience, right? So that doesn't mean that every book I read that has to do with the word of God binds on the conscience, just the word of God does. But the other books, so like the book of Enoch I'm referring to, it still carries a level of authority because the apostles actually used it to inform their own letters. So the book of Enoch kind of gives us more insight into who these Nephilim are. Now, can we say for certain that Enoch is right and it's trustworthy 100%? I don't know that I would go there and I don't know that I would tell people that they also have to read the book of Enoch, but the information is available to us. And I think that if we care to know, and I think we do care to know because anytime I, I read this chapter with anybody else, they're, they're right away. Like they get hung up on like, who are the Nephilim? Explain this to me. I need to know this. Right. Yeah. And so even that new, that modern book of no, uh, that modern movie of Noah, have you guys seen it with uh, Russell Crowe plays Noah? I haven't and, seen it. Yeah. It's bizarre. So, <laughs> yeah, I heard about it, but I haven't actually yeah. watched it. So I watch it and then the Nephilim are like these rock creatures. They're angels. They're fallen angels, but they become like rocks and they like are like have fire. Anyway, the interpretation 
kind of seems to me really far off from anything the Bible was even trying to represent or what Enoch was trying to represent. So with that all being said, that was a little long. Uh, do you mind if I just read a part of Enoch? Yeah, go. Cool. Give us a little bit of insight. I think it gives us a little bit of insight yeah. um, on, on, uh, on these chapters. Now, I won't be able to pronounce uh, all the words, but I'll give it a shot here. So the chapters are super short. Uh, you want me to pull Enoch. it up on the uh, screen? Yeah, if you want to. I actually have another. I'm oh. going to read off my screen. I have the whole book open here. Uh, okay. So if you care to read the Book of Enoch, you can just look it up on Google, just say, read Book of Enoch. It'll be available somewhere. You can find it pretty easily. So I'm going to read chapter six and seven. They're super short. Um, and so it says, and it came to pass when the children of men had multiplied that in those days were born unto them beautiful and comely daughters. And the angels, the children of the heaven, saw and lusted after them and said to one another, come, let us choose us wives from among the children of men and beget us children. And so then there's this angel here called Semjaza. I think that's how you say his name, Semjaza. He says, and Semjaza, who was their leader, said unto them, I fear ye will not indeed agree to do this deed, right? So he's the leader and he's saying, this ain't great. And I alone shall have to pay the penalty of a great sin. And they all answered him and said, let us all swear an oath and all bind ourselves by mutual imprecations, not to abandon this plan, but to do this thing. Then swear they all together and bound themselves by mutual imprecations, I think is the word, upon it. And they were all in all 200. So there's 200 angels here who descended in the days of Jared on the mount, on the summit of Mount Hermon. And they called it Mount Hermon because they had sworn and bound themselves by mutual imprecations upon it. And these are the names of their leaders. And then it goes through the names of all the different angels that were leading this kind of um, uh, rebellion. <clears throat> so this is where uh, it gets interesting is in chapter seven, which is shorter than chapter six. It says, and all the others and all the others together with them took unto themselves wives and each chose for himself one. And they began to go into them and defile themselves with them. And they taught them charms and enchantments and the cutting of roots and made them acquainted with plants. And they became pregnant and they, they bare great giants whose height was 3000. And it gives a, an increment of measurements. I'm not exactly familiar with, but essentially very tall um, who consumed all the acquisitions of men. And when men could no longer sustain them, the giants turned against them and devoured mankind. And they began to sin against the birds and the beasts and the reptiles and the fish and to devour one another's flesh and to drink the blood. Then the earth laid accusation against the lawless ones. So <laughs> did I weird you out? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so now when you go back through and you read uh, that those those four verses in chapter one, you get this idea of there's this supernatural entity that came to be part of humanity, uh, had intercourse with humanity. And the, and the book of Enoch goes on to describe that they were actually trading technology. So the angels were saying like, hey, you give us your wives, we'll give you information and secrets about the earth that the Lord hasn't revealed yet. Uh, and so that's the uh, the interaction. And so as weird as the book of Enoch seems, 
really respectable Bible scholars still use it and look back on it to inform how they think about Genesis chapter six, one through four. So I wouldn't say that you have to full on adopt what's saying, what's being, what's happening in the book of Enoch, but know that the information is there and it's available to you. So that's what I think about those for those four chapters. Yeah. So there, so there's basically, um, you know, that's like, like uh, one of the, theories about what's happening in the first four verses is that you know demonic spirits or fallen whatever <laughs> are having intercourse with human yeah. beings you know and producing these hybrid type children uh type thing you know the other uh, and the, the other thought on what it's talking about when it talks about the sons of god um saw the daughters uh, saw the beautiful women took any they wanted as their wives. Mm. Um, so the the other theory is basically that the sons of God don't necessarily represent spirit, like evil spirits, demonic angel, fallen angels, whatever, but, but actually um, evil human beings, uh, not sorry, not the sons of God, the uh, righteous human beings, uh, those mm. who are of the line. So basically the, it would go, you know, you have the fall in Genesis three, and then even in the fall and the consequences of it, you know, God talks about, yeah, you know, like the, the wicked are going to, the sons of the evil one, uh, there's going to be enmity between the sons of the evil one and the sons of, of the woman, you know, the righteous and the wicked. And we see in Genesis, the very next chapter, you start seeing the fallout. It traces the development of human history after the fall. And you see Cain uh, murders his brother Abel, and then it kind of traces the line of Cain, which is basically yeah. you read that line. Um, this is in chapter four of Genesis, and it just kind of talks about you know, Cain got married to so and so, and then they had this kid, and they did this for a living, and then that kid married so and so and did this for a living, and kind of just develops the human race. But you see, it's like there's nothing mentioned about the Lord in there. It's just, I, I, at least me, when I read it, it just seems like they're just building this, their, this life that's independent of God, of seeking mm -hmm. the Lord, of any kind of relationship with him. They're just kind of living a secular, I don't, that's probably not how it was, but for lack of a better term, you see yeah. that, that line developing. And then Adam and Eve have another son named Seth. And then Seth has a son named Enosh. And it, then there's this verse that says, at that time, people first began to worship the Lord by name, or they began to call on the name of the Lord is what other okay. translations yeah. say. And then you see it traces that line. And you see, you know, it. somebody just lives, gets married, has this kid, dies at this age. It kind of does that. But kind of uh, interspersed in that line are people like Enoch, where he walked with God for 300 years years and then he was not and then noah comes from this line and so you kind of see in chapter four and chapter five the bible just tracing the development of these kind of two different lines one that's kind of building this life independent of god and another that not that they're all righteous seeking the lord but there is this fear of god in there and you see these people who are kind of turning to the lord and seeking god in there as well. And so, and so the thought is that when it's talking here about the sons of God saw the daughters of men, we're basically like, it's saying that these 
this men from this righteous line began intermarrying with uh with with the women from people who weren't even seeking the lord at all and it just caused even the the light the the remnant of righteousness that was flickering in the earth to just just get absorbed and yeah. um not really be shining anymore which leads to the depth of depravity that the whole human race ends up in which is right. the main point of the chapter Absolutely. in chapter six um i mean i was going to say one more thing about that so uh my my thought on the i you know i don't i don't i don't have a strong opinion on which interpretation is right i don't think it's even the main point uh i think that's the point of disciple like that's how you disciple it right you say like these are the options yeah. but you don't have to be incredibly opinionated by it about it right you know what i mean so it's like i can take either one of those options and and like move on mm -hmm. and be be comfortable so yeah um <clears throat> either I, way i probably i feel more comfortable with the 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 second one uh where it's you know the the righteous line kind of intermarrying with the unrighteous line so to speak, I, I guess I feel more comfortable with that. Um, I have a couple questions about the possibility of demons <laughs> procreating. Yeah. I, I don't know if I'm not confident they have that ability. Um, even, you know, later when Jesus is talking about, uh, you know, somebody asked him a question in the new Testament, you know, if a woman marries, uh, basically seven different husbands, you know, and each one of them die and she keeps getting remarried and then she dies. Whose wife will she be in the resurrection? And he's like, I, it's, it's not going to be like that. Uh, yeah. They'll be like the angels, which yeah. is interesting to me. Um, so I, I'm just wondering if God even created the angels with the ability to procreate. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's a question mark for me about the first theory. And then it just, uh, but it could be because there are verses and phrases in Genesis six that sound like it could be talking about that. So I'm like, yeah, I don't know for sure. I kind of lean toward the, the second option that I talked yeah. about, but I, the first one, I, the first knows? one is more radical. It's like, you gotta, you, and that's why it's so important. Right. And, th and that's why I love, that's what I love about this podcast is like, I I'm more into like, Hey, there are, when we're learning the Bible together, right? Yes. It's like, there's a way to carry our heart that like, if I have a strong opinion about something, even in my strong opinion about it, which I don't on this, I actually don't have a strong opinion. I'm more so like, here's the information, you know, do what you want with it. Right. But if I have a strong opinion about something, how I carry my heart is actually going to be what produces the fruit. Right. And so if I get real dogmatic about the book of Enoch, and then start telling everybody they need to read the book of Enoch. Like I can create a lot more problems than actually just lead to what the rest of the point of Genesis six is, which is how does God respond to wickedness and what are his promises? Um, and so with all, with all that being said, um, the, I think the, my big reason for going through that is there's always, anytime I go through Genesis six, people get hung up on that question and I would just rather go and exhaust all the information um, and don't assume that all the information is in Genesis chapter six. There's more in numbers 13. And so 
but it's like go and exhaust all the information just kind of like know about it become i don't know you get that you got to become an expert in it but there's more out there than than probably just what we have here uh but don't also get like hung up on it is the big thing make sure that you're carrying your heart well through those things so yeah i would say if you read genesis if you read genesis 6 and you come away and the main thing that you get, are getting from that is trying to figure out who the Nephilim are. You're missing, you're <laughs> totally point. missing the whole main point of the story. Yeah. And so, um, you know, what's interesting. This was surprising to me when I started doing discovery Bible studies with people and I do Genesis six, I kind of anticipated I'm like, Oh, here we go. Cause I don't like having the Nephilim conversation. I I'm just like, a lot of times when I meet people who are just super passionate about the, the Nephilim and they build this huge, huge, like whole thing out of it. And there's really not that much information that I can see in the Bible on it, but maybe I'm missing something, but um, it just makes me uncomfortable. I'm like, man, I just feel like we're so far off. We've strayed from the main storyline here, but you know, I, so I kind of was like anticipating that when I did discover, discovery Bible studies, but you know what, you know what I found? Actually, hardly anybody ever brings it up. Oh, really? Yeah. What, yeah. I just asked them the questions, you know, what stands out to you in this story? And actually, when I do it with unbelievers or new believers, I don't know if I've hardly ever had one of them even bring it up. So I don't bring it up because <laughs> like, it's not the main point anyway. And uh, but they get the main point, like they read the story. And I just think it's interesting just this when they're reading it for the first time, so to speak so to speak, that simple childlike faith, they see yeah. the main point and they don't even bring it up. But the only times I've had it brought up a few times, but it's when I do it with believers who have kind of been in the kingdom a little bit longer. Right. And somebody probably informed them, you know, to look deeper or whatever. You know what right. I mean? Somebody has already talked to them uh, more about it. So yeah. I don't have a strong opinion on it. Honestly, I need to like carry my heart in a way that is, um, I just want to be humble. You know what I mean? I want to, yeah. live, I want to live for the Lord so we can move past that point. Yeah. So let's get to verses five. Let's talk about verses five through eight. Um, what stands out to you in these verses? Uh, so to me, it's interesting here how different the Lord's tone is from Genesis one and Genesis two. Um, when he's talking about making the earth and everything's great and it's awesome mm. to going into now, like, I regret it. I, I regret I did this, yeah. <laughs> you know, and now wanting to uh, essentially undo it or or even even just be done with it uh, completely. So I, 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 th I see a big reversal, a big reversal in thought um, and how, yeah. he's gonna how he's going to handle the mess, really. That always stands out to me too. I was just about to say the same thing. When you contrast, you know, we looked at Genesis 1 and we saw the happy, joyful God who delights in his creation. And we read like Proverbs 8 and um, what was the joy that was happening in his heart as he looks and says, it's everything is good. And he's so happy. You know, what in the world has happened to get to the point where now he, he's grieving. He's like, he's grieving in his heart um, over what, what has happened to his creation. And I just see like, to me, it's because when he sees the level of depravity 
and brokenness that human beings have sunk to that that's described in this chapter. I think there, he, he grieves so intensely because he loves us so intensely. Yeah. And he knows what he designed, the dignity and the glory of what he created us to be. And he sees it, how far we've fallen. And I think that's why he's grieving so intensely. It's not, he loves people just as much as he's ever loved people. And which is why he's grieving so much. You know, I yeah. think of like, um, if you have, you know, if I can hear a story, you know, a story out there of, you know, somebody who's making bad decisions and ruins their life and is like, you know, addicted to whatever and, and ends up in a whole bunch of divorces and they're just going through a lot of pain. And it's a sad story. And I'm like, oh, man, poor, poor guy or whatever. But it's different if it's your son that's going through that. Yeah, I'm grieving at a whole new level because I, I, I'm like, man, he didn't have, it didn't have to be this way. Like, 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 um, he, he chose something and I'm watching him suffer and become something that he was never designed to be. And it grieves my heart more intensely. And I kind of see even the father's heart, uh, in this passage, as strangely as that may seem to some, I see it. I see that he's grieving so intensely because of how intensely he loves his yeah. creation. Yeah. You'd be invested in the details too. If it's your son, right. It's like you would care. You would care about every detail, you know, and, and seeing it through and, and trying to come up with strategies to fix the problem. Right. Yeah. You know, another thing that stands out to me is this sentence, the Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth. And he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. That is a very, there's a lot of descriptive words <laughs> in that sentence that I'm like, can you imagine what it would be like living in, on, in an environment where every single person, every thought they, they had, every motivation and thing that was driving them to do what they did was completely consumed with evil 100% of the time. Like, could you imagine what it would be like living in that environment? Oh, this is something I wanted to point out too. This is another, this is, again, I'm not going to be dogmatic on this, but I'm just looking at the context of what's happening. When it says uh, in the first four verses, and this is tied into what I just read in verse five, where it says that the sons of God saw that, they saw the beautiful women and took any they wanted as their wives. Mm. That phrase, any they wanted just strikes me as kind of, I'm wondering again, I, I can't be dogmatic on this, but I'm just trying to imagine what is it like in an environment where people are completely and con consumed by their lusts yeah. and by evil. Um, I'm wondering if, if, if there's rape going on, if there's just like, you just see these these guys, they see some woman they like, she's beautiful, and they just take her for their wife. She's mine um, now. Yeah. And just doing whatever they want. And God's looking down on this. He's like, this is so, this is getting bad. And, you know, you see that. And when the level of depravity gets there, I mean, you think, um, I think even now, what happens when um, uh, when ISIS takes over a city or, or in Afghanistan, you know, when it's the... Um, is it the Taliban there? Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I can't remember what that one's called. Which group it is. Yeah. Anyway, 
um, whatever it is, you hear similar reports all the time, you know, is they just go in and they're, they're raping the woman. They're just taking young girls for their wives. Uh, you know, that kind of thing happening. And it's like when evil is unchecked, yeah. what happens? And I, I just try to imagine when I read verse five um, and I'm trying to see what does that look like living in that environment? I, I'm wondering if this is the kind of thing that's going on. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I think about my own life, even after giving my life to the Lord in ways that he has sanctified my thought processes, where I look back on my life 10 years ago, even as a believer, and I think of the wickedness that I had still in my mind that I could justify and didn't, I was blind to the fact that it was wicked. Um, even in small areas of like fudging numbers when it came to money or telling people I'll do something, but without the real intent, without really intending on doing it. You know what I mean? Or kind of like my intention was half-hearted, you know? And then, you know, now I look back on that and I'm like, that, that is actually wickedness. It it wasn't, it's not like a little like, oh yeah, Ray's just got a little thing in his heart. He needs to get solved. It's like even those small depraved ways of thinking um, are so unhelpful to our, our, the vitality of our life and the vibrancy of our heart. And so I, when I look at my own heart, who I, you know, I believe I'm, you know, I'm full of Holy Spirit and I'm being influenced by the Holy Spirit. But I look back 10 years ago and I think about how I thought as a believer, I still think, dang, like I was still like messed up. Like I still had a lot of issues that the Lord was working out of me. So what more would it be like for somebody who's just completely sold out for sin and wants to live for every craving of their flesh with no regard, you know, for, for there being a higher power observing it or going to judge them for it the lack of the fear of the Lord and no resistance whatsoever. Like they're not yeah. trying to resist They're They've yeah. given themselves over to that sinful nature. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is awful. And so that gets him to the point where that's why he's grieving. I'm sorry that I ever made him said it broke his heart. And then he said, uh, I'm going to wipe the human race from the face of the earth. And then, but there's this key verse, and this stands out to me in verse eight is, um, but Noah found favor with the Lord. Mm. But to me, I'm like, God, thank you for Noah. Um, what, you know, in the verses after this, and we, I guess we can get into talking about nine through 11, but, but in the verses after this, it talks about Noah was the only righteous man left on the whole planet. I mean, could you imagine? I mean, you think it's like hard for to live for God at your workplace or your school. <laughs> You're the only righteous one there. And yeah. I have compassion for that. That's not easy. But what was it like for Noah? Like he's literally the only one left on the earth is what it says. And um, here's here's my my thoughts on that, on what's happening here. God's going to do this dramatic thing. He's literally going to kill every person and the animals on the earth, except for the ones he saves on the ark, right? Uh, He's going to wipe them all out. And to me, what's happening in this chapter is a giant reset. It's Mm -hmm. like since Genesis three, when human beings embraced a sinful nature, um, the depravity level has just been escalating on the earth. But God has a redemption plan that he wants to put into place, but it's not in place yet to restore everything. 
but that the depravity level is escalating so rapidly to the point there's only one righteous man left on the entire planet. And I see God here. He does. It's like this dramatic intervention to reset the sin level uh, and to keep earth at least a manageable place to live until he gets this redemption plan in place, which is going to take several thousand years um, so that he can restore all things. So I see him intervening here and I even see his mercy uh, on this because he could, again, he could have just said, forget it. I'm going to kill them all. I'm going to get rid of the whole thing. I'm not doing it. You know what I mean? But he's like, no, I, I am going to have an earth filled with righteous people who love me. And um, and I'm going to f- do what I originally set out to do. But the the levels of grace and intervention and mercy he has to go through just to keep us from shooting ourselves in the foot before he gets the redemption plan in place. Um, I see that happening. But it's interesting to me. It's like he waits till the last possible moment. It. You're, a lot of times you read this chapter and we're like, oh, my goodness, like he killed everyone except right. a few, a handful of people, yeah. no one, his family. Um, th- that's so big. But he's like, man, I waited like his mercy. He's watching the sin escalate. People are crying out, being oppressed by all this stuff. And he waits and he waits until literally there's only one righteous. Like what happens if Noah dies? Um. But he waits until literally there's one person left, the last moment. And then he, okay, I'm going to work with you. I'm going to rebuild with you. And he resets the whole thing. And it's like, that's so dramatic. But it's like, it was the least severe means that that was necessary in order to save the human race is what he wanted to do. So I don't know if I said that very clearly. Did that? No, it was good. No, that's really good. No, it's important because we get, it's again, it goes back to that. And that's what I, what I don't like typically when I'm reading these, especially the, the you know, in the book of Genesis is that can read like mythology, right? And if it re- reads like mythology, we separate our heart from it. And when we separate our heart from it, therefore we don't think about the consequences or the severity of the sin or the response of the human beings or what God is doing at the time. We just think of it as a good moral story with a moral ending that leads to hope. Right. And and I'm OK with the part where it leads to hope. But let's think of Noah as like a real person. Let's think of the, the ark as a real boat. Let's think, you know what I mean? Let's think of these interactions between God and Noah as a real thing um, because he's so invested in saving the human race. But the issue is and the problem with the human race are the love of wickedness. Jesus says it himself in John chapter three. So you read John chapter three, verse 16, and you think God so loves the world. He gave his only begotten son. And so like, that's the verse that we quote, but you read a couple of verses down and he says, why are men going to be judged? Because their hearts love darkness. Jesus says that you love darkness. You love it. And so in that love of darkness, that's what the Lord uh, is responding to um, in Genesis chapter six. And so we have to understand the the depths of the depravity and not make light of the sin that's being talked about in Genesis chapter six, but even the sin um, in our own lives. Now, I don't need to always shine a spotlight on everybody's sin or my own sin uh, to be conscious and aware of it. But also, I don't want to like just gloss it over like it's no big deal and that it doesn't deserve um, judgment and justice. 
Yes. You know, uh, that's a good point. I do think that even in the, in the church, many times in the American culture, I think we do not fully grasp how, how bad sin is, uh, and, and how serious it is. Like when you read the Bible, I, I, I think sometimes we minimize it. I think sometimes even in the church, we've bought into a, a non-biblical uh, thought process that says ah, people are, are basically good. <laughs> and that's absolutely not what the Bible portrays. No. And you see it right here and you see it throughout the rest of the biblical story. It's like sin is very serious. Like people yeah. are by their nature, they're not very good. Enemies um, of God is how the Bible describes enemies it. God, objects of <laughs> wrath. Um, Romans so, one, Paul talks about that, and and I, you're not going to understand the degree of uh, sacrifice to which God went to to bring salvation if you don't understand the seriousness of sin. Yeah, um, it's not going to make sense. It doesn't add up. Um, yeah. And so it's important. I think if we're going to fully see the goodness of God in redemption, then we have to take the time and not blind ourselves, but look at the facts in the biblical storyline and see and come to terms with the, the seriousness of our sinful nature and how awful it really is. Um, then we understand the beauty and, of, and the goodness of God fully uh, in redemption and what he saved us from. I mean, it is the greatest miracle for somebody to get delivered from a sinful nature for God to change their nature to make them righteous um, is absolutely miraculous. And that's that's what Jesus has done for us. But we see it in this chapter. And it's important because guess what? This scenario is going to play itself out again, which we're going to get to at leading up to the end of the age. Um, Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. So, so how was it? How was it in the days of Noah? Like everybody was consumed with evil and their sinful nature. Like the sin, the, the depravity, depravity level had escalated to a tipping point where judgment had to be poured out mm-hmm. and it got reset. But you know what? It's building back up again and it's going to end. There's going to be a scenario that God, the Bible talks about at the end of the age, that's actually, you're going to see the level of depravity get up there again, as it was in the days of Noah. And there's going to be another dramatic intervention um, by God. Um, that's going to be the judgments you read about in the book of Revelation, etc., and the rescuing of the righteous. And so I read this story and I think, man, you know what we need? This isn't just a history lesson, isn't just a fascinating conversation this this is going to play itself out again and i want to learn because i i don't want to just be caught up in the momentum and the things of the world the spirit of the age because it's taking that's taking us somewhere it's going in a direction of depravity that we don't that's going to be wiped out it's going to be judged the wrath of god is going to be released against the wicked i want to be the noah in my generation i want to be the righteous one uh and even though it's difficult, there's grace to be able to live that's, that's a right. righteous life. So I know we're coming up. It's like 49 minutes in. Yeah. Let's just, can we just take like a, let's take like a quick break and okay. then we'll come back and continue the conversation. All right, we'll do this. So this is going to be continuing the conversation. We're talking about Genesis six 
And uh, we were just uh, looking at verses uh, five through eight, kind of dipping into verse nine. Anything that's jumping out at you that you wanted to share from those passages? Yeah, yeah I want to get to the, the um, I mean, there is, yeah, we'll cover that. Uh, the title of the video, you know, being the Ark of Salvation and what that means and what we mean by that, um, which is really what the hope is of this chapter. Um, and so... It, it is, it's, you know, we've been talking about the, uh, the depravity of man, the love of sin, uh, wickedness on the earth, and how that's going to be similar, uh, or it, it's going to be similar to that, even in the end of the age. I mean, you even look at right now, so Russia is invading Ukraine, there's all kinds of atrocities happening, some of it not being reported, of it, reported some of it's being reported, but like, what is it that's in the heart of man? that decides that it needs to own a plot of land and it needs to take human life uh, in order to do it. There is no righteous cause for that, right? There is no um, honorable reason for that, except for the wickedness in a, man, in a man's heart. And I'm not just saying uh, Vladimir Putin. I'm not just saying just Russia. I'm saying in humanity in general. And so the day is coming when justice is coming. Justice is coming. It's delayed now. It's delayed now for mercy's sake so that all men will respond uh, to Jesus. But there is a day coming where justice will come, just like it did in Noah's day when unrighteousness was prevailing and wickedness was prevailing in the earth. Um, wickedness will not always prevail. We are not on a hopeless timeline and history is not off the tracks. Uh, Jesus is going to come back and Getting it us to the main point is just like in Noah's day, the only place of safety was to be in the ark. If you wanted to be saved from the flood of judgment, you needed to be in the ark. And it's going to be the same thing at the end of the age. The only way to be saved from the judgments uh, of Jesus are going to be to be in Jesus. So the ark is a type of Jesus. You want to be in him for the sake of your own salvation. So that's the point that we're getting to and we're going to get to at the end, but I just wanted to kind of butter us up a little bit for that. Yeah, that's so good. Yeah, I agree with that hundred percent. And of course it says Noah did everything exactly as God commanded him, which is why he was a righteous man yeah. <laughs> is why he's a righteous man for sure. So praise God. But I just think, I, so this is, you know, I think Noah, Noah saved the human race. I mean, this is a big deal. Uh, I should say God used Noah to save the, but how significant was Noah's decisions to not go with the flow of what the rest of his people around him were all wanting him to do? Like he actually did not just save himself. Um, there are human beings still on the planet right now because of Noah. <laughs> like God, you know, he's, the story plays out after this. You see it. Uh, when all is said and done, God rebuilds the human race and he just starts with knowing his family and starts rebuilding it again. But um, I, I mean, I, I thank God for this guy. And just one of the things that motivates me is I remember doing this Bible study with a, a young man. And he was and he and he caught this and he's like, I want to be a Noah because a Noah is a man who lives a righteous life in the midst of a crooked generation, but also because of your choice to live a righteous life, you impact others and, and actually make salvation available to other people through you. And I, I, I see that with Noah. Um, and so again, 
that's a picture of the bride of Christ at the end of the age to me, but so good. So let's do, um, I, I want to get into to this question. <clears throat> I want to talk about this for a little bit because we've already alluded to it, but how does this chapter relate to the return of Jesus and the larger storyline of scripture? Hmm. I feel like I answered it a little bit. Mm-hmm. on that opening. So I would, I would, I'm going to let you go first. Okay. Again, I would just defer to you. I, I want to look at two scriptures. The, the one I already mentioned, Jesus told us like, guys, the way it was in the days of Noah, it's getting there again. Like it's like, how does that affect me today? If we're approaching the end of the age and I'm thinking of the environment, the culture that I'm going to be living in. Yeah. How, if I have that expectation how does how does that affect the way I carry my heart and the way I live? Um, it makes a big difference. If you were if you were Noah and you knew this was coming in your day, like how motivated would you be if you knew that in just a matter of time, the whole thing worth was going to be wiped out by a flood, but the righteous would be saved? How many of you think like as he's halfway through building the boat and he's tempted to sin, he's thinking? Psh, uh-uh. <laughs> I know where that's going. There's no way. And and I just think like um as we lead up to the return of Jesus in the end of the age, like this scenario is going to repeat itself and we see it now. The depravity level before our very eyes is rapidly multiplying yeah. in the earth. And um and we see these two ex, uh extremes in the scriptures that you're going to see sin get become mature in the earth. But you're also going to see righteousness become mature in the earth. God's going to raise up a bride of Christ, like Noah is a type of that, um, who's going to choose to set themselves apart uh, from the spirit of the age. And honestly, I, I, I'm stirred by this. I have been for years. I'm concerned. I, I'm in America. I, I love the American church. I'm part of the American church. I'm a pastor in the American church. But um. I'm concerned at the level of sin and the level of worldliness and the, the number of people who identify as believers who are absolutely engrossed in the things of the world, who yeah. watch sinful things on television, who listen to sinful music that's propagating sexual immorality and violence and bitterness and pride. It's exalt self-exalting. Um, and I see us, so many feeding ourselves on this things that's being fed to us by the spirit of the age. And I'm like, man, there is a great separation that's already beginning and it's going to get more intense as we approach the return of the Lord. And I, I, I just, I, I just think as believers, we need to Holy spirit, help me to come out of the world in the sense of, um, you know, I'm living in the world and I want to be a witness in the world. And, I'm not escaping the world, but I am, I'm not drinking the Kool-Aid, so to speak, (laughs) that the world's drinking. And I want to, I want to immerse my mind and my heart in the storyline of scripture and anchor my hope and my passion, the things I long for in the kingdom of God. And um, I just, I think it's essential that we do that. No, that's good. I, I think it's interesting too, that kind of riding on those coattails, you know, even you were saying like, what if Noah decided to sin? 
I, I'm, a, I'm also thinking like, what if Noah just decided to like skip one of the details that the Lord given him? Like, mm. what if he was like, yeah, I'm going to do your will, but I'm going to skip a couple of details, right? I'm going to kind of do it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to line the boat with tar, you know, I'm just going to kind of, I don't think I, I don't think I need to do that step. That's hard. It'd be a lot of work. Right. Mm. So I want to, I think I'll get the same result without the tar. Wow. <laughs> right. And so it's like the same thing in my life. What if I just decide on Tuesday, like, yeah, you know what? I just don't feel like doing discipleship today. It's just not in my, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of energy and effort, you know? And then what, like one Tuesday turns into three Tuesdays and three Tuesdays turns into a month yeah. and before I know it, I'm out of the game completely. And it was all because I looked at the will of the Lord for my life as though it was optional. It might mm -hmm. not be directly like uh, an egregious, wicked sin for me to not participate at a, at a zealous level, um, every day in my life, but there's a level of, um, obedience that even is outside of our own, uh, wickedness that we need to walk in. Right. And how yeah. we steward, how we steward what he's given us. So what if Noah didn't steward what, what the Lord had given him, right? How would have it, how would have it ended? And then I think about that in my own life. Like I have to actually steward it in obedience to get the result that the Lord wants. And I don't think he gives us overbearing responsibilities to steward, but we do have to say yes to them. And, and like you were saying, it's like, like watching, uh, you know, binge watching TV shows. Like I, I was telling Melissa, cause we were watching, we were watching a show, uh, not that long ago. And, uh, it was on, and I think we watched like two or three episodes and like, it was like the third episode in. And I said, yeah, I was like, I can't, I was like, this is dulling my heart. I like, it's got, it's, it's got too many things in it that are contrary to the things that I think the Lord cares about. Mm -hmm. And, you know, somebody else might come along and be like, oh, you're fine. Don't take it so serious. It's like, no, I, I want to have a tender heart. Amen. I want to I be on fire for the Lord. I want to lead people to Jesus. I can't have like four narratives going on in my brain, yeah. you know? And so, and, and, and I, th I take that too, is like when you shut the TV off, when you shut off that show, that's you saying to the Lord, I love you. And he sees it and he hears yes. it and he knows. And he's like, if that's the level that you're going to go to in commitment to me, I'm going to entrust you with more. But if we think we can like kind of like have the benefits of the kingdom and like have a little bit of influence and maybe have a ministry of our own, but then also like over here on the side, I can kind of like do my own thing that makes me comfortable. Lord's like, yeah, you, you will not live with a tender heart that way. There won't be a lot of intimacy. It'll be kind of like, it'll all feel like responsibility actually. Mm. And so I'm with you 100%. The, it's not that I want to sit here and point out everybody's sin and wickedness, but there's a level that we need to rise to in the body of Christ, especially in the Western church. If we want to see the revivals that we pray for, if we want to see the level of discipleship uh, that we want to happen, that we believe that the Holy Spirit wants to happen, if we want to see those things, it's going to be costly. We're going to have to lay our lives down, not just in the fact, oh, I'll be a martyr for you, Jesus. We're going to have to lay our lives down. We're going to have to lay our comforts down. We're going to have to lay our preferences down. We're going to have to lay down our relationships. We're going to have to lay down our schedules. All of it. Got to lay down our money. We got to yes. lay down our possessions. We got to lay it all down. And so when we lay it down and we give it up, the Lord says, that's the heart that I'm going to make. Uh, I'm going to prepare to impact people. And he's raising up a generation of people that are going to do that. Not just one person. This isn't one guy, one star show where one guy is standing at the front of the church leading a bunch of people to Jesus. This is a generation of people that are going to take on the Sermon on the Mount lifestyle and live it seriously to their last day. 
Amen. So. That's so good. I want to read this. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to put my slide up there. How come it won't go up? It says remove, add to stream. There we go. This is Second Peter, and this is related to the question, how does the flood from Noah's day relate to the return of Jesus and the larger biblical storyline? And I think Peter connects it pretty well. So if we were inviting the apostle Peter, he's on our show today. We're asking him this question. He's going to answer it in this scripture. Um, he says, this is my second letter to you, dear friends. And in both of them, I have tried to stimulate your wholesome thinking. That, that's what we're doing. And refresh your memory. I want you to remember what the holy prophets said long ago and what our Lord and Savior commanded through your apostles. Most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come mocking the truth and following their own desires. Mm. When that, when, the, when people have a sinful nature and they just start giving in without restraint to their own desires, that's bad news. Verse four, they will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? From before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. But they deliberately forget that God made the heavens long ago by the word of his command. And he brought the earth out from the water and surrounded it with water. Then he used the water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. That's what we're just reading about. Yeah. Um, and by the same word, the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire. They are being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really slow, being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire. And the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives, this is the result, this is how we should live, what holy and godly lives you should live. Looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. This is interesting to me. I'll just finish the passage. There's so much we could talk about. We could do a whole thing on this. Yeah. On that day, he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the flames. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth he has promised, a world filled with God's righteousness. I mean, there's so much in here. I do yeah. want to talk a little bit about this because it's it's really related to he brings in the flood and ties it into the day of the Lord at the end of the age. Um, first, I just want to point out, uh, number one, this passage sometimes is used um, to say that, you know, the, the present earth that we're living on right now, the planet we're living on, God's going to just like eviscerate the planet completely destroy it it'll be all gone and then he'll just start all over and create a brand new planet call it the new earth you know and um but this is what they use but i, I don't think that's what the bible teaches i i think god's not going to um you know i heard them say this on uh oh which i heard somebody quote this it was really good uh that god's not going to death star the earth 
Um, so he's not going to blow up the planet, just get rid of it. He's going to restore it. He's going to cleanse it with fire. <laughs> but yeah. it's going to be the same earth that we're sitting on, we're standing on right now that's going to be here for eternity. And God and people are going to live here forever. God's going to restore it and make it righteous. And I just want to point out this passage because it's people say, well, it says that God's going to destroy it, though, with fire. But if you look at the context right before, he says, yeah, he's, enjoy, he's going to destroy it with fire in the same way that he destroyed it with water yeah. in the days of Noah. But the word he didn't eviscerate the planet in right. the flood. He destroyed every living thing on it, except that which was in the ark. And then when the waters receded, it was like starting over. It's like a new, uh, you know, building over again. And God's going to, anyway, it's the same way at the end of the age. It's going to be the same earth. It's a a cleansing. It's a cleansing. Just like the flood is a cleansing, so is the fire. Yeah. Right. And so, but this is interesting. A lot of times we think of these things and we think it's, I, I think it's a wrong mentality it's a, I should say, it's a wrong mentality to, like I, it says here, we're looking forward to the day of the Lord when he does this. Yeah. And I think sometimes it's a, it's a f- misinformed compassion. Um, when, when we're like, oh no, you know, I don't want the day of the Lord to come. I don't want the, the judgments of revelation to break out, you know, that's going to be bad because so many people are going to die. But actually when you read, it's like, I want to line my heart up with the, with the biblical narrative. Yeah. And it's interesting when you read the Bible, he says, we're looking forward to this because the whole earth, we read it in last session is groaning right now under the weight of the curse and under the weight of sin. What is it like when you're the 11 year old girl living in Afghanistan and the Taliban takes over? You know what I mean? It's like, it's, and on and on, we could go over and over. What is it like when you're the one huddled in Ukraine in the, in bomb shelters and subways, you know, just praying and hoping things are okay. Like this type of thing is like, it's going to engulf uh, the planet, like the conditions of the earth. And there's a groan. And when he comes back as a man of war, destroying the wicked, it's a rescue operation. He's going to be, um, it's redemptive in nature. And I, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm talking too long. So no, I'll just say one that's really last good. thing on this thought <laughs> and then I'll be quiet. But um, I read uh, the book of Revelation, I think it's chapter 18, where it talks about the, the, the harlot Babylon and when she's destroyed. And I look at the responses to that judgment in, in that chapter. And right afterward, when the city is destroyed, which is just encapsulates, you know, the the spirit of the age. It's like there's idolatry, immorality, persecution of the righteous. I mean, this city at the end of the age will embody that. Uh, uh, It'd be the head of that. And then God destroys it. And and the people who are mourning are are the merchants and the ones who were caught up in it and engrossed in it. And they're not mourning because, oh, we love these people so much. They're mourning because, oh, man, our business opportunities and our wealth has disappeared. <laughs> our idolatry and our and our and all this kind of stuff, you know what I mean? It's like that's what they're mourning over. But, yeah. but then God says this, rejoice, you righteous. Rejoice, you saints. That He actually, because God has avenged. He has finally avenged and, your blood. And I just see the contrast. 
And I think when we we see the judgments of the Lord at the end of the age, and this is a bigger subject, we could do many episodes on this. I think we need to like get into the word and say, God, give me understanding of why you're doing what you're doing. Number two, give me understanding of why you're, the judgments seem so extreme when you read them, why it's necessary and even good that you're doing these things and help me to see these things from your perspective. So my heart has the same response that you call us to have where yeah. I true and just are your judgments. Oh Lord, I trust you. And then it produces the fear of the Lord in us. I want to line up with the Lord because when he's getting rid of wickedness on the planet, it's so that he's going to restore all things and make it a righteous place, which is what our heart longs for and what his heart longs for. So I'm being quiet now. No, oh, that's good. It's so good, man. Um, yeah, it's I, whenever I'm walking through the scriptures, especially the New Testament with somebody, um, I, I like to tell them like, so it's, you know, it's like, look at what Peter's zealous for, right? And so he says the promise right here uh, in the previous slide. Okay. So you say, maybe I'm on the wrong slide. Oh, here we go. There you go. Uh, so what the, this is the one. Yeah, I'm looking for that word promise. Most importantly, I want to remind you, scoffers. Anyway, he talks verse about the promise. Three. Okay, verse three. So most importantly, I want to remind you in the last day, scoffers will come. Oh, four. And they will say, what happened to the promise? Yeah. So what's interesting is in chapter one of the same book, Peter tells us that if we want to participate uh, in the divine nature of who God is, that we have to first come through the promises. We have to know the promises and the promises aren't like subjective, right? They're not um, like, Hey, what are, what are God's promises for Ray over his life? That's not what Peter's talking about. Peter's right. talking about the promises that come at the second coming of Jesus. And so he uses it as a discipleship, as a, as a form of discipleship. Like, Hey, if you want to understand the heart of God and know the heart of God, you need to know not just that Jesus is coming back and what that will be like, but all the things that are packed into that suitcase, because those are the promises, right? You're going to live forever. You're going to have eternal life. You're going to sit at the marriage supper of the lamb, right? All of these things. And so when you, when your heart begins to get full of those promises, you begin to carry it uh, much differently. So I, I typically say to people, like when you're reading the new Testament and you're reading James, you're reading John, you're reading Peter, don't think of them as like, oh, these are books with some like weird one-off theological ideas in them. Think of it like Peter's your friend. And if Peter's your friend and you're walking with Peter every day, what, what is a friend like Peter going to produce in you as a response, right? Because if all of my friends are like helping me make excuses for my sin and like telling me how to live kind of a, a, a lukewarm life, even though that might not be their intention, but they're just kind of like, ah, you don't need zeal. You don't need to be excited. You don't need to think about the return of Jesus. It's not a big deal. Like we just need to love God, love people and like do the great commission. That's not the way that the apostles taught. That's not the way they thought. That wasn't the way they operated. It wasn't the fuel that motivated their fire at all. It was the coming of Jesus. And you see this consistently throughout the scriptures. So what I want to do is I want to, I want to make Peter my friend. I want to read this book and be like, if me and Peter were walking side by side every day and he was my accountability partner, 
what would my thought processes be like and how would I respond in righteousness and in my convictions to the Lord? So that's how I read Peter and taking these things extremely serious. They're in the scriptures. The apostles are talking about them. I have zero reason, zero reason to write any of it off or minimize any of it uh, for the name of my own uh, modern thinking. Yeah, that's so good. Um, yeah, is there anything else that you had to say related to how Genesis 6 relates to the return of Jesus and the, the bigger storyline of Scripture, or did it cover what you wanted to say? I think we both covered it pretty well. I think there's a lot more that could be said, but we yeah. can move we can move to the next point. Okay, let's do it. So let's get into the just we'll just quickly go through the discovery Bible study questions. So um what do you like about this story in Genesis 6? That there's a way of salvation. I think that there there's a way. Like that God is merciful and that he opens up the window of mercy to anybody who wants to receive it uh, and always makes a way in a way of safety. Um, for those who want to come to him on his terms. That's good. Yeah, I just put two things for me. What I like about it is Noah, man, he was a righteous man in a crooked and depraved generation. Um, I I love that about him. And I, I just, I want to read this. I meant to read this scripture too, but it's out of Philippians chapter two. I think it fits so well here. Philippians 2 says, um, live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Hold, this is how we do it. Hold firmly to the word of life. Then on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. I just love that so much. Anyway, so I, I love that Noah was a righteous man, and I, I want to be like that. And the other thing I like about this story is I just see God's mercy fighting to preserve the human race and restrain sin um, until his redemption plan gets fully in place. Um, I, I just appreciate the Lord. I, I see him through the, this section of Genesis. That happens several times. Like the fall happens. The human race starts developing. And sin just escalates and it's like sin is escalating faster than his redemption plan is getting into place. <laughs> and when sin gets to a certain level, it warrants judgment. And he's like, ah, reset Genesis six, right? Just resetting the level. And then you see it. I see it again in Genesis 11, actually the tower of Babel. It's kind of the same type thing. It's like confuse the languages, reset again. Yeah. Um, he's just like slowing down, restraining the, the, the advance, the decay of sin in the earth until his redemption plan gets in place. And um, I just appreciate that about the Lord, just fighting for us in spite of ourselves um, in this chapter. So what questions do you have about this story, Ray? Uh, yeah, I mean, I just, it is that, that, the, the Nephilim thing. I think it is, it is a mystery, you know, um, mm -hmm. I think that's what actually you have written here in the notes. Um, yeah. I would say the big the big point there would be don't be taken off guard when people come at you with information and don't let yourself be consumed by information that's irrelevant to how you're going to live your life really right you know what I mean like don't don't make the nephilim thing the big point of the story and so yes. 
I don't mind. Uh, like, like I read out of Enoch, it's the, it's an option, right? I don't even know that that's my option. It's just a option. Sure. So, you know, when you know the information, it, it helps your, it helps your ego and your pride kind of recycle or, or digest all through all of it a lot easier because when you don't know, when you don't know the information and you hear somebody say a thing, you're like, wait, no, you know what I mean? And so I always find, okay, I at least want to know where everybody's kind of mind is at. And then I can kind of find my place somewhere in the middle, you know? Sure. That's cool. Uh, let's go to the third question. Cause my question about the story was the same thing. So uh, what does this passage teach us about God? I, I keep coming back to the, the, that word mercy. This is, this is mercy. I mean, even now in history, in, in history, we are in an age of mercy where we are given the opportunity to respond to him. Like we don't, he didn't, he didn't have to allot that to us. And so the, the, the promises or what we are barreling towards is the day of judgment, but all of this time right now. And the reason why we don't experience immediate justice on the earth is because of mercy. That's why, like, when you look at the Middle East or you look at Russia and Ukraine and you're like, what is the Lord doing? Why isn't he doing something? And it's like, because he's giving everybody the, the amount of time necessary to respond to him in his great mercy. But judgment will come. Yeah, I, I learned about God from this passage that he's a righteous judge. I mean, that's just obvious. Um, a fourth grader could read this and get get that point. Uh God is a righteous judge who rewards righteous people, but he also punishes the wicked. I mean, both of those are guarantees. Like you can bank on that. Um, yeah. He's a righteous judge and that's a good thing. And his judgments restrain sin. I learned this, his judgments restrain sin and offer and are often redemptive uh, in nature. So that's what I learned about God from this passage. And also okay. that he's a father that mourns over the sin of the ones he loves. So, yeah. What do you learn about people from this passage? Uh, people that live in righteousness, like Noah, like they choose, they choose righteousness. They have a heart tender enough to obey God and his commands when he gives them. Yeah. I mean, cool. that's, that, that is, a, I would say a benefit, like a, um, an, uh, an optimistic view. You know, but you also learn about the wickedness of men as well. Um, but I, I, I really like Noah's response of like, I will do what you say because I love righteousness. And loving righteousness is such a uh, burdenless way to live. And it's a choice. Mm. Like you, you're not going to end up being righteous by accident. It's good. You're going to have to make a conscious choice over and over and over again for your rest of your life to choose to love righteousness over wickedness. And that's, that's why the reward comes in. That's so good. Yeah. yeah I, I would just say uh, I learned about people from this passage that the potential depravity of the sinful nature is scary. Mm. Um, I mean, yeah. So, and also the good news, it's possible to live a righteous life in the midst of that, of those conditions. And that's the hope I think for us that we want to tap into. So the final question, how can we apply what we learned in this passage? Um, be in Christ, right? Just as Noah got in the ark, we want to be in Christ. Can I pull up a couple verses? Yeah. So this idea of being in Christ is pretty common to the New Testament. 
in Christ there is salvation from judgment. So Romans 8.1, there, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ, right? Everybody outside the ark was condemned to die, right? Everybody yeah. inside the ark was not condemned to die. They were, they were saved. 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come, right? And in a sense, and we're going to see, you see this more in Genesis 8, when the ark lands and the flood recedes, it's like a, the creation order is starting over, right? It's like mm -hmm. a, he resets. He says, I'll never curse the ground again, right? It's almost, it's, he starts talking about the curse again and starts making promises to Noah. And it's almost like a reset. So it's therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. If you're in the ark, you get to experience the new creation, right? The old has passed away, right? That that sinful, wicked generation is gone and behold, the new has come. And it's the same in our life. So there's like a, a parallelism, you could say, between the story of Noah and even our old life. I've died to that man. I went down into the waters of baptism and I came up as a new man, right? Mm -hmm. So the same way um, that generation was baptized in the flood and the only thing that came up was the living. Wow, that's cool. Uh, like Romans, Romans 6, 11. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin uh, and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And this, this point here in Romans 6, Paul is doing an excellent job at discipling people through how to deny their sinful passions and live uh, in Christ and inspired by the Holy Spirit. Mm, amen. So we want to be in Christ like Noah was in the ark. Yes. Good word. Yeah, I would just say, uh, yeah, my application would be uh, be righteous, uh, be righteous like Noah and don't get swept up into the sin of the culture. Um, the day of the Lord is coming. <laughs> I mean, that's that's my takeaway <laughs> as well for me. So, amen. Is there anything else on this that you wanted to talk about? Or are you good? I think I'm good, man. OK, we'll go into the outro stuff. So we just want to encourage you guys like, you know, we basically are just modeling for you each week how to take a chapter of the Bible and uh, find out what it means, read it, find out what it means, and discuss it using these five discovery Bible study questions. Um, and we want to encourage you to do that with other people. This is an excellent way to disciple people as well as um, to encourage one another in the Lord and to lead people to Jesus, to share the gospel with people. And so if you know somebody that maybe they're not a believer, but they're like, ah, I'm interested, I'd like to learn more about Jesus. This is an excellent way. Start meeting with them. Just meet at a coffee shop or wherever you want to meet. Read over a lunch break. Read one chapter at a time and just start working your way through the biblical storyline, just using the, the chapters even that we're modeling for you. And ask them these five questions and let them answer that. And you're going to find that they're going to discover who God is for themselves directly from the source, not taking your word for it or somebody else's word or my word or Ray's, but seeing it with their own eyes directly from the source, from the Bible. And this is an excellent way to do that. And so I want to really encourage you to do that even this week. Find somebody that wants to do this and just get open Genesis 1, read it together ask and answer these five questions together and just draw close to God. So good. And and then uh, the, the other thing I want to share is um, if you're interested in learning more about these themes that we're talking about, specifically related to the larger biblical storyline that the scripture tells, I want to encourage you to check out um, my book. I wrote a book. It's called paradise. God's eternal plans 
plan for people and the earth. And I basically, it's a short little book. You can get on Amazon. You can just open your cam on your phone and uh, scan that. What is that thing called again? QR code. The what code? QR, QR, QR code. code. Okay. Scan the QR code to take you right to Amazon and you can purchase the book. I actually just saw today. I checked it out. It looks like it's like on sale right now. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, 53% off. So, yeah. so it's like so, $5 man. and 35 cents. So get like, you know, get like 10 of them and do get a group together and work your way through it. But there's study questions at the end of each chapter with scriptures. So you can look up the scriptures and see if it really says in the Bible, the things I said, it said uh, in right. that chapter and uh, study it for yourself. It's a great way to just become familiar with the larger storyline of scripture. So Ray, uh, you want to finish this off here? Yeah, I just want to encourage you guys to like these videos, share them, and also subscribe to our YouTube channel. Uh, just last week, we are now getting the audio up on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify. Um, we The videos are all on Facebook, on our Facebook page. Uh, but the big one is always going to be uh, subscribing on YouTube. And you can find there's, it's probably on the, if you hover over this video, it's either on the top right or the top left, there's a way to subscribe. You can also find it under the video, a lot of different avenues for us uh, to reach people with the gospel, open up revenue streams to give into the 1040 window. Um, and so that's really our heart and uh, what's really actually important to us. So we please ask, we just ask that you would like and uh, subscribe on YouTube. Amen. Awesome. Guys, thank you so much for listening. And we look forward to doing another one next week on Tuesday at 10 a.m. We encourage you to Put it on your calendar and uh, join us for the live uh, recording if you can, because, um, you know, we'd love to interact with you guys. We'd love to hear your comments or questions and be able to try and answer some of those um, as we go through it. So it just makes a better show when you guys are participating in it. So we love you guys and we'll see you next week. Amen.